Thanks for tuning in for another edition of the Veries and Numerous podcast, a Briar.io, that's B-R-Y-E-R.io production. Uh, we can't do this show without our sponsors, so let's give them a special thanks and uh, tell you a little bit about them. First off, Thunder Games. Thunder Games creates games that integrate Bitcoin and process payments via the Lightning Network. They have numerous different games and run their own node. If you wish to connect, their public key is available over at Thunder. That's T-H-N-D-R dot games forward slash. And uh, with their link to the Telegram and social media also over there. Thunder Games are making mobile games which enable players to win Bitcoin for free using the Lightning Network to send prizes. I really love to see this. I'm a proponent of the Lightning Network, and uh, it's good to see people, uh, you know, integrating their work and, uh, you know, showing uh, faith in the Lightning Network as Bitcoin continues to work on scaling. Check out Thunder Games. That's thundergames.com. The Bob Shop. The Bob, the Bob Shop is the most diverse blockchain and cryptocurrency clothing store I've come across. I love it. It's uh, the best on the web, in my opinion. They have it all. Privacy coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, like I mentioned, Mimble Wimble projects, hoodies, hats, shoes, tees. Go over to the Bob Shop and get your cryptocurrency gear so you can go around and style and support your favorite cryptocurrency projects or protocol. That's the Bob Shop. B, or that's Bob Crypto. B-O-B Crypto dot C-O, uh, known as the Bob Shop. Vinxcoin. Vinxcoin is the world's first decentralized fine French wine and vineyard-backed security token offering STO where anyone can be a fine French wine and vineyard owner from the comfort of their home. Vinxcoin removes high-cost entry to the fine French wine and vineyard ownership markets. Check out Vinxcoin. That's V-I-N-X-Coin.com. Trios. What is Trios? Trios is an economy and an ecosystem. Trios is a direct reference to the decentralized money that will power a new economy. In the future, the term Trios will become synonymous with cryptocurrency and virtual financial assets, VFAs. Their payment methods, their ecosystem, and their general use as both a utility and a store of value. Visit Trios over at Trios.io. Chair and Coins, you found the brick-and-mortar financial institution where you can safely trade dollars for Bitcoin. USD to BTC, over-the-counter OTC, and person-to-person, P2P. They facilitate transactions of all sizes, including high-volume transactions. Their headquarters is located in Milwaukee, serving the MKE areas of Lakefront, Eastside, River West, and all of Wakaja County. More than being just an OTC location, they are here to educate you about Bitcoin wallets, blockchain, cryptocurrency, security, and platforms. If you're in the Milwaukee area, you can use their Bitcoin ATM, and more locations are coming soon. Visit Charon Coins, that's C-H-A-R-O-N, coins.com. Bitcoin SOV, Bitcoin SOV is an emerging community-driven project that has a decentralized team the world over. It is a proof-of-work mineable ERC-20 and has a deflationary design with token burns to ensure your value is stored over time. Check out their site at bsov.io. Lucho Paletti is a digital artist, and he did that Andy Warhol masterpiece. He has uh, one of the large, the largest, actually, crypto store that I've come across on the Internet. Uh, and the majority of his work, I think all his work is Bitcoin-related for the most part. 
tons of variations on some of the coolest art over year over the years. As you see, Andy Warhol, he's got tons of Andy Warhol stuff. Uh, that just is the tip of the iceberg. Stickers, posters, uh, he has it all. Keychains. Check out Lucho Paletti. That's L-U-C-H-O-P-O-L-E-T-T-I dot com. And Flashcoin. Flashcoin is a reinvention of Litecoin built to scale for the worldwide for worldwide commerce and fast enough to handle everyday transactions. The flexible and easy to integrate core code allows exchanges and wallets to add a flash to their platforms within hours. With a settlement time of around five seconds and consensus within two minutes, anyone, anywhere can use Flash mobile wallet as easily as cash or credit card. Visit flashcoin.io. That's F-L-A-S-H coin.io. And as always, remember, nothing on briar.io written or spoken is financial advice. You are the captain of your own financial ship, and you are your own sovereign uh, financial uh, – you make your own sovereign financial decisions. Uh, as always, you know, do your own research. This show is, uh, has a lot of, of, our, of my opinions and the opinions of our guests, uh, like I said, aren't financial advice. Uh, so always do your own research and invest – in uh knowledge and uh your personal uh you know your personal human capital so uh please enjoy this episode of the various and numerous podcast and thank you for watching back again for another edition of the various and numerous podcast uh today i have uh host of he hosts his own podcast peaceful peaceful anarchism he's an avid chess player a pretty good chess player from what i understand and teacher uh, great pianist. I've listened to a lot of his stuff that he puts out on Facebook and uh, advocate for homeschooling and a contributing editor to Living in Modern Times, Mr. Danilo Cular. Or C- Cular. How, how do you say it? <laughs> Quayar. No problem. I asked him how to say it right before we got on here and I still butchered up. Sorry. Quayar. No Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate your time today, sir. Yeah, no problem, Arl. It's great to uh, great to be with you. Great to see you. It's been a while since we talked. Um, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on over here. It's a it's a wonderful uh, material for content creators right now. <laughs> They're going crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh, I guess for the for the good and the bad. Go ahead. Well, real quick, since uh, we're t- we we we'd be remiss if we didn't just mention what's going on right now. It's the uh, for posterity, it's the 18th of April, 2020. I always like to start with uh, Bitcoin price 72.23, and uh, the market's moving up a little bit today. Link, the other one that I'm really focused on right now, is at three dollars and seventy cents. But outside of that, we're in this COVID-19 uh, world. The C word uh, that we talked about before we got on here uh, quickly. What's your take on that? And what do you what do you think is like? Uh, you and I are both huge free market advocates. Is this our time to shine right now? Uh, you know, I told a friend of mine who uh, is more of a, a freedom lover uh, that lives close to me. And uh, I said that if this whole ordeal uh, does not produce a massive new uh, influx of anarchists and volunteerists, then it just demonstrates how powerful and how effective the government school propaganda is <laughs> absolutely <laughs> because this is such um, obvious and blatant state overreach abuse of power. It's just, Oh, just massive trampling on civil rights, you know, forcing people into their homes. And now just today, um, uh, just yesterday I heard my friend say that 
that in New York, because I'm in New Jersey, so I'm very close to New York. Governor Mario Cuomo has said that that um, um, they they just passed a law where you know mandating people to wear masks when you leave your house, and then also basically saying that uh, he was talking about the vaccine and how that's the only way that we're going to defeat this. And so he's and he basically said if you want um, a population to test on. You know, come to New York. Come test it here first. <laughs> wow, yeah, I, mean, I don't amazing. agree with much of what. <laughs> Which is amazing. What Cumo is, Cumo is saying? Uh, I actually have a family member in in NYC pinned up there, and I just I try to get them out of there before they uh, before this really hit, and you know, but right. they didn't get out of there in time. So yeah, I was just curious what your take on that was before we get into your your uh, your story. Let's start. I like to start in everybody's, uh, you know, I'm interested in you as much as what you're doing. What, um, where did you grow up? So I was, uh, I was born in Peru, but I was, I was raised in Rockland County, New York. And, um, yeah, I grew up there most of my life until I went to Long Island for my college, uh, studied acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, massage therapy, Eastern nutrition. And, um, yeah, my mother's, um, she's, um, she's I, she's become more extreme more out uh outright socialist like it, when she was younger when i was younger she was more democrat she would describe herself now she describes herself as a socialist is, is <laughs> so, she still in peru or did, is she oh uh, no 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 no. my parents are in, in rockland county new york okay and uh um but yeah it's it's kind of funny how how i came from that background <laughs> and she's pretty political yeah. so, so and, and it's funny I, I i wonder like how did i ever become an anarchist or, or voluntarist living in that uh surrounding because not only her but also her sisters and my and her brother and um you know a bunch of family a bunch of my cousins they're just all like you know bernie lovers and oh, man. you know <laughs> democrat socialist type people green eco environmental type people so right yeah. <laughs> you really beat the odds i mean it's already you beat the odds once going to a public i went to a public school i really i feel like i really beat the odds and then i mean my parents uh weren't like real big into economics or anything like they i think they have a a, a good grasp of the free market but they weren't like you know teaching me about the austrian school of economics and stuff like that um so yeah you double you you doubled up on beating the odds it sounds like <laughs> so when did you get interested in um uh, you know, economics and uh, free markets and how the world basically works, because that's kind of like how it what led me to, you know, I got interested in, um, in like just how the world works. And that, that was my economic conversion at the same time. It kind of was an obvious, you know, move to that direction. What about you? So for me, um, I think what really catalyzed it was when I had my first, we had our first child in 2010 and um and i started really we started really researching um peaceful parenting because also before then before we even had a kid you know i remember saying to my wife how you know we would see a a, a school bus go and we would and we'd be like huh can you imagine our son's gonna be on that school bus one day <laughs> so we weren't even thinking about homeschooling at that time and and then we started researching peaceful parenting and and also that was another thing that changed because I, I initially we initially didn't think much of like spanking like we didn't we didn't think it was that bad you know we got spanked so what's the big deal you know they do something bad you you hit them a little bit so but then you know i really researched it and i educated myself and stefan molyneux um i learned a lot from him he had a lot of great content read some books we, we bought some books um by uh i think john holt and um 
different people about, you know, raising kids, the continuum concept. Um, and, and then, and then being introduced to Stefan Malia's channel, he opened the door for um, free market economics, Austrian economics and anarchism in general, volunteerism. And, um, and yeah, and it was, a, it was a great eye opener. And then from there, Larkin Rose and then G. Edward Griffin, the, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. And then, um, yeah, there's, there's this book uh, that Jeff Borwick recommends a lot to people, which is um, The Market for Liberty. Have you heard about that book? Who's the author of that one? It, it, it's not a new book. It's, it's, it was written in the 70s by these two people. Their last name are Tannehill. I think uh, Morris, Linda and Morris Tannehill. I've never read and that. It's awesome. I, I, I very rarely read books twice, but I read that book twice. The Market and for Liberty. The market for liberty, yeah, and it's, it, and, it, and it's basically it's basically um, the type of book where it's um, it's um, contemplating what a stateless society would look like and how would justice look like in a stateless society. You know, how would I don't know zoning laws look like? How would different things? How would businesses operate? How would how would anything happen? Like you know the 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 common uh, questions that we get asked from most statists is like. Without the state, how would you do X? <laughs> right? So right. this whole book, this whole book is geared towards that, and it's fascinating their take, and and they go into extraordinary detail, and it's really, really eye opening for me. That book, um, definitely worth a second read, and uh, yeah, and, and I mean, there's only like one mention of like the Cold War, but other than that, the the material is timeless. Like it's just val- invaluable. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm definitely gonna read that now. Yeah. Uh, the one person that I've you know, paid a lot of attention to in the Austrian school is Hans Hermann Hoppe. Uh, I know he's kind of a divisive guy and the libertarian. Some people don't like that he advocates borders right now because, uh, you know, as an anarchist, there's that debate on whether you should go completely borderless or not. Um, But he, I think he take, he, he assumes the position that we're already in this, you know, where the state exists. So we have to, at least, you know, within this, uh, this uh, paradigm, we have to, you know, try to execute the best we can, I guess would say. And, and that's what he talks about a lot of the, a lot of the alternatives, like, uh, you know, private, how we would have a private law society and stuff. It sounds like that's, is that sort of the idea of this book? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it was really great. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, there's other books that went along similar lines. There's one, a short, a small one called the, the nonviolent zone, um, by this guy, Muir Matson, And that was a really great book as well. Again, contemplating how a stateless society might work. Uh, I, I believe Bob Murphy also wrote a book, uh, what was it called? Um, chaos theory, something like that. I don't know. Something. Or, yeah, that yeah, sounds so- familiar. Yeah, something like that about about state of society, but but yeah, I mean it's fascinating, and um, I mean I haven't gotten into a conversation about this stuff in a long time, except recently, uh, maybe like a week a week ago, two weeks ago, I, I talked to my mother on the phone, <laughs> and, and she was uh, you know we were making small talk, you know how are the kids, how's how's everything, how's the family, how's the wife, and everything, good, good. And then she's like, all right, I got to go, but real quick, uh, give me two sentences. What do you think of this whole? coronavirus thing <laughs> <laughs> she asked you and you asked her no no she asked me she asked me and, and then no because i don't really i don't really like um you know to engage in contentious topics with people who i know disagree with me like immensely it's right just, I, I don't like to i don't seek out conflict you know if it's not necessary i would prefer just to like offer my knowledge and that's it you know if you want to take it you take it if not not and that's why i have a podcast and youtube channel so that I can put my knowledge out there. And if you want to consume it, you can. 
Um, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't like to, um, you know, go out there and try to convert people necessarily. You know, I just live my life and I homeschool my kids and teach them, you know, how to be good, moral, compassionate, kind human beings. And that's it, you know, and, uh, and people, they, they, if they see your example and they want to emulate it. Great. You know, and they ask you questions. And then once they're asking you questions, then they become receptive and they're less likely to push back. They're, they're, they're more likely to consider your perspective, right? So my mother, when she asked me that, she was not really likely to consider my perspective because we, had a, <laughs> we engaged in a, ooh, a heated discussion, heated discussion. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we we uh, we went on a lot of topics. I think we even touched on like I even mentioned like uh, we we started talking about polycentric legal systems in ancient Ireland. Can you imagine? <laughs> first, the first question for the first question was coronavirus, and we ended up talking about polycentric in ancient Ireland. <laughs> so yeah, we, we went all over the place. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you're. Uh, I see a lot of your posts and your videos, and you're not the type of person that's real combative, which I like because. I went through that combative thing. Like when I first figured this all, you know, what I feel like is like you're, it's cliche to say the awakening or whatever, but it's true. Right. Like you have this like light bulb moment where you're like, wow, this is so, you know, everything is a lie. <laughs> right. You know, right, I've been right, completely right. schooled to believe schooled, you know, we could talk about yeah. that word itself to believe yeah. everything is, uh, you know, is, is wrong. Everything is wrong, basically. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's like really draining to um, try to change people's minds. And the best thing you can do is what you're doing is just put out content and um, sure. slowly, uh, uh, you know, get into their consciousness maybe and have, you know, let them know that you, there are alternatives to what they believe. Uh, would you consider yourself a, a, like a Rothbardian? Because that's where I would, you, you know, I'm, are you a Murray Rothbard guy? I think so. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, I align a lot with him. I've, uh, have I read any books of his? Yeah. Oh, I have read books of his. I like his, um, uh, the, the case for the hundred percent gold dollar government is money. Um, what else? Yeah. I think his bigger books I have not read, but, but yeah, I really enjoy his writing. His writing is very clear, crisp, concise, easy to understand. You know, some, I think some writers are just unnecessarily obtuse and confusing. Right. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, good writing is something that's so difficult to do, you know, and it's, it's hard. To, how, do you, how do you teach someone to write well? You know, it's hard. You know, like I remember when I first started writing in, um, in high school, uh, like creative writing, like I thought that the more adjectives that you include in your writing, the better it is. So like my, if you look at my writing in high school, it's like so complex. <laughs> right. But then as I've grown older, I've, I've, I begin to understand, no, it's not about that. It's really about how can you um, most effectively convey your concepts in a way so that the reader can understand you? <laughs> you don't, you don't yeah. want to confuse the reader, right? <laughs> I totally agree with you. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't something I had on the list here. I was just curious what you thought about that. Yeah, he, his book, uh, Man, Economy, State with Power and Market, uh, is my favorite book um, and the one that really sealed the deal for me on Austrian theory. That's why I, I was curious what your take on him was. Yeah. Um, no, I love, your, I love him. He's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, he, he, I like the way you broke that down, though. He, he is a great writer, too. What, is your, uh, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on uh, – you and I have spoken a little bit. I came on your podcast. I was lucky enough to go on there. 
when I when my first book came out. What is your what are your thoughts on uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? I know you've obviously done a lot of reading and uh, digested a lot of material on uh, uh, money and uh, the history of money. So what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've, I've I've interviewed a good amount of people uh, who are cryptocurrency experts. Um, I yeah, I have some crypto. I mean, I, I accept crypto if people want to donate. Um, I mean, I'm not really that active in the crypto sphere. Um, I uh, I love you know. Oh, another thing that I I um, got into early on, along with Jared Griffin, uh, you know, learning about the history of the Federal Reserve and the history of currency and and the monopoly on currency that the Federal Reserve has is um, Mike Maloney from uh, Hidden Secrets of Money. Uh, oh, his website is goldsilver.com. So he's a big precious metals guy. He's, he actually owns a precious metals company, but he diverts a lot of his uh, profits towards education. So he makes really high quality um, documentaries called The Hidden Secrets of Money. And uh, I, I believe we, we might've talked about this the last time we talked, I, I think. And uh, it's like half hour uh, little mini documentaries, but excellent, high quality. I recommend them all the time to people, teaching people about basic, yeah, free market economics, about how, the, how, how central banks work, what the mandrake mechanism is, you know, what's the difference between currency and money, precious metals, you know. And in the beginning, Mike Maloney, when I first started following him, he wasn't really big into uh, cryptocurrency, but, but he... Um, he began to appreciate it because, you know, to, to me, the way I look at it is it doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it's, it does, it's, it's not like gold or silver per se. It's not like Bitcoin or Litecoin or, or whatever coin. It's not those things per se. It's the idea of giving people the freedom to choose what they want to use, right? And that's the most important thing. So, so right now, for thousands of years, gold and precious metals has maintained value. People choose to use them. Use them. Now, now uh, states, nation states have tried to control them and have tried to set price uh, ceilings on them and, you know, different price manipulations and have hyperinflated in their own way. Um, But the fact remains that it has always maintained value throughout millennia. Right. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, there's like the big ball and chain around the ankle of the state, you know, to, to restrict reckless profligate spending and, and war and things like that. Things which, you know, the printing of paper of, of currency or, or just in modern times, the, the inputting of digital digits um, allows for reckless spending and debt and, and war. You know, you, you just can't do that when you're restrained by a sound uh, scarce money supply. So for that reason, nation states abhor um, any kind of uh, free market money, which would be um, precious metals or, or, or crypto. So I'm definitely, I definitely love crypto. It's awesome. You know, it's like whatever free people choose to use, that's awesome. I support it. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my, my close friends near me, they're tired of hearing me, uh, uh, <clears throat> advocate for precious metals. <laughs> Cause I do it. I do it a lot. I mean, and also another thing I love to do about precious metals is teach it to kids. Um, because, I have, I have, I bought a good amount of silver, uh, over the, over the course of a few years. And, uh, and so I have, and I have a different, a lot of different types of, of silver, like different kinds of coins from different countries and different bars and different size bars and, you know, pretty cool stuff. And then there's junk silver, old American currency used to be 90% silver. And, and it's great. It's great show and tell for the kids. They love looking at it. It's real. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, I tell my kids, like, if, if you think that like, you know, a stack of hundred dollar bills is, is uh, worth something. 
Or if you think, <laughs> you know, drop it to the bottom of the ocean, right? And then come back and, you know, 20 years <laughs> what's right. gonna happen to it and you do the same thing with a with a with a the silver bar or a gold bar <laughs> it's indestructible that's a you good know? way to put it too it's very durable very durable it's like amazingly dur- amazingly durable and i tell people this that uh, i like to tell people different kinds of facts about it like um how much how much does it cost to print um transport and store a one dollar bill Right. And I say roughly about six cents. Right. You got the ink, you have the paper and you got to store it. Right. Now, how much does it cost to print, transport and store a hundred dollar bill? Right. Roughly seven cents. <laughs> Why the extra cent? Because you have extra zero. So you need a little bit more ink. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a good way to explain value right there. Oh yeah, it is. That's, that's, I like that. That's, it's, you know, it's very basic, but it, it drives the point home and the kid, even a, it, you know, a child should be able to understand that. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, and then there's a great uh, Louis, uh, Ludwig Mises quote, which is, um, I think it's like, uh, paper. Uh, what does it say? Government is the is the only entity that can take perfectly usable ink and paper and make it worthless by printing. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that was actually. I think that's Friedman. I think that was uh, Milton Friedman? Friedman. I think it was Milton Friedman. But yeah, okay. I, I, one well, of the. Nonetheless, it's yeah, a great yeah. quote. Yeah. <laughs> that you can take, you know, three, you know, all that stuff to get, mix it together and make it uh, worthless. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great quote. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you. You can't, you actually just jumped my next question somewhat. Uh, what is, which is uh, perfect leading into it. Uh, what is your, um, what, how exactly you, you're unschooling your children, which we, you just want to give a quick definition of what that is. And then to follow up on that. What do you, how, uh, you kind of already mentioned it, but what are you teaching your children about money and, uh, the state? Oh, oh, excellent uh, questions. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't get many normal people asking me about, about, you know, what are you teaching your kids about the state? <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. So, um, homeschooling, uh, a lot of what, you, you know, it's it, interestingly enough right now, now that people are in lockdown and schools aren't able to be um, in session, everyone says, oh, now I'm homeschooling my kids. Homeschooling is so difficult. And, and then and then what, what am I, uh, what, the people I follow, uh, Connor Boyack, you're familiar with him? No, I'm not. Connor Boyack, he wrote, he's also a free market anarchist guy. And he wrote um, a bunch of um, uh, children's books called the Tuttle Twins. Excellent books. Excellent for teaching kids about non-aggression principle, about... Um, sound money about central banking about inflation about about um, one of them is about protectionism one of them is about zoning one of them is about the different uh, the, the comparison of government schooling to, to homeschooling you know so all these different topics and it's it's all the other one another one's about spontaneous order and the division of labor specializations it's excellent book wow. excellent to, to teach kids it's like it's like targets like five to ten year old range um and so he, he, he made a, he posted this meme that says isolation schooling is not homeschooling. <laughs> and I thought that was excellent. That's perfect because it seems like everybody thinks that they're homeschooling because they're forced to have their kids at home. No, definitely not. <laughs> right. Definitely right. Not. Yeah. It's a whole different thing to homeschool. It's like, it's like, no, we, we have our whole routine. Nothing has changed for us right now. Nothing has changed except the fact that we, we can't go to classes uh, that we used to go the you know, the gymnastics and everything, but, um, 
but yeah, so, so homeschooling is very big, dif- different thing. And, you know, some people who, who don't understand it, they think it's just like the same thing as, as government school. You just do it at home. You just, you just have them do, you know, specific books and, 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 uh, you know, and you break it up into, you know, I don't know, 45 minute segments and you just do it. No, no, definitely not. There's very little structure, very little structure. Right. That's, why I, that's why I like, I prefer the term unschooling, which is, um, or another way to say it is like home education or life-led learning or passion-led learning. It's basically, uh, you know, we, we do some foundational things, reading, writing, math, that kind of thing. But, but that's by far the, 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 you know, the, the small amount of stuff that we do. You know, we, we use a lot of online resources. There's a lot of great chess uh, online resources for kids. There's programming websites we use. There's great, some, some great math websites we use. Uh, there's Khan Academy, which is a free website that teaches kids about they, they, all kinds of things, math and grammar and history and uh, science and music, just so many things. It's just, it's just we're inundated with content. Uh, there's just no shortage of stuff. And it's great. And, and then in addition to that, they take their, um, uh, their classes, fencing. Uh, my son does, my daughter does gymnastics, ballet, tap, modern dance. And, and then we also meet up with other families a lot. So uh, this is the other misconception about homeschooling is that we like home all the time. No way. We're very rarely home. I mean, my kids beg me to stay home <laughs> more often. Yeah. So we're like out all the time, meeting up with other families, doing their classes. Uh, we're just on the road a lot. Um, and yeah, so we meet up with other families who some of them homeschool. Some of them um, used to send their kids to private school. Of course, now, you know, it's all different now. But but yeah, so so we've been doing a co-op where we, where we get together and we we just, you know, work on stuff together, work on workbooks. We do grammar, we do writing together. And it's, and, and it's great to be with, the, with their friends. And, you know, because some people who are considering homeschooling, um, they, they're, don't, they're, they're afraid because they're like, you know, I don't know if I can do this by myself. Mm-hmm. But that's, whole, that's the whole myth of it. You, you shouldn't be by yourself. You shouldn't have to do it by yourself. It's a, you have to be in a community. There's Facebook groups. You know, you got to find other people in your surrounding area that, that are homeschoolers. And, um, and, and, you know, because doing it by yourself is exhausting. You can't do it by yourself. Definitely not. You know, you have to outsource, right? This is, you know, the, the, uh, the way that any uh, business owner becomes successful is you have to delegate responsibilities. You have to outsource. You can't do everything yourself. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that uh, what you're doing is, you know, I think that's the way to go. I, I don't have any children yet, but if I do, I think, you know, it, it does take a, um, I'm glad you hit on like delegating responsibility and, you know, helping, helping each other out in the community to, um, to achieve, you know, the aim of a good education and stuff, because uh, I think that's probably what holds a lot of people back. Uh, they're, you know, worried that they can't, you know, cut it, which a lot of people honestly probably can't, <laughs> but with, with the help of a community, it definitely makes things a lot easier. Like not, you know, myself and I'm sure you don't feel like you're the best at every single subject maybe or whatever, mm-hmm. but with, with that community um, support, it definitely would, you know, makes everything a lot easier. Yeah. And also I tell people that, um, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a master iron chef to teach your kids how to cook. Right. <laughs> you right. don't have to be, you don't have to be a NASCAR driver to teach your kids how to drive a car, <laughs> you know? So you don't yeah. have to be the best at everything right? You have basic skills that you have acquired through your life that you can teach your kids that are valuable. 
and, it, and it's and it's humorous to me that we're just assuming that the people these people that teach you know, not us but other people have this sort of like it's it's this mythical thing around the state again like these people that right. have no competition you know right. they get into these schools and there's zero competition for them to to be the best teacher they can be once they get that job that they have this you know mythical they are the teacher they you know they know everything or whatever you know right. they have this great grasp and it's just that's really not the case as you know so yeah, I definitely, I definitely like that. I see you guys do. Uh, you're teaching your children how to play chess. You're, I know you're really good at chess. Um, is that one of the uh, like extra, you know, extra activities you guys uh, meet up with other families and get into that? Oh yeah, I mean, especially for me, since I am a chess teacher, um, that is a big part of our homeschooling curriculum is chess. Um, there's a couple of websites we use. I also have like. Um, printouts and workbooks, chess workbooks. And I, I just do, I have a lot of content and um, yeah, it's great. And, and uh, you know, part of my homeschooling is if they play each other in games, which they, I encourage them to do, that's also part of their homeschooling. So, so yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm also a piano teacher. So I, I teach them piano as well. And that's part of the homeschooling. They practice their piano. Um, so yeah, all that together. I mean, I mean, yeah, we do, we meet up with our, fa- with our friends in the co-op, um, yeah, I also teach chess there to the other kids and they, and I bring all my sets and they play each other. So yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great tool to enhance, um, so many aspects, you know, I, I had a parent ask me one of my, um, the, one of my classes, the parent asked me after the class, she's like, what are the benefits of chess? And I, and, and I, I was so like, I was, I'm, I guess I was so shocked by the question. I was just like, I started laughing and then she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just that. It's just that, like, I'm like, what, what are, what is not a benefit of playing chess? <laughs> right. Yeah. That you was, I, I was going to follow up with that, actually. What do you, what do you view is like, I see it is, oh my gosh, the strategy of it, you know, yeah. it's, it, it, I think it would probably teach a young child how to uh, always be a move ahead and not to be a cliche. That's sort of a cliche thing to say, I guess. But um, is that really, I mean, that's really the idea, right? That, you know, you're forward thinking that you have this ability to like, quickly interpret um how to how to handle a situation maybe right right so so some things that that playing chess could benefit uh, a child is um improved memory function uh improved spatial recognition spatial reasoning um improvement in um the ability to strategize like you said plan ahead and and also the acceptance of taking your decisions and accepting the consequences of your decisions. Right. Like like we all have to do in life, you know, you, you, and also to make sure to think about your decision before you make a decision, because there are consequences. So basically to avoid recklessness, don't be rash in your decision-making. There are consequences to everything that, everything that we do. And you must, once you make your choice, you must own up to the consequences of your actions. Right. Very important. So I think there's a lot of parallels, uh, that chess, um, displays to to life and and uh so yeah so i i love it and i think i think it um you know helps kids to just uh yeah be critical thinkers about things be creative you know be you know exercise your imagination it's like you know there's a there's a lot of great a lot of great quotes that i i uh, chess quotes that i uh often refer to one is um this great chess player in the early um early 20th century he says chess like love, like music has the power to make men happy. 
Oh, that's yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And I know, I know a lot of the the feminists will will will, will, uh, will, will bite at me for that. I'm like, I'm like, come on, it's just, okay. You know what I mean? You didn't just mean men. You know what I mean? This is, yeah, this isn't a show for feminists, really. <laughs> so, right, right, right. We're not we're not here to exclude anyone, but we're not really a pro feminism show. Right. So. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. So, um, oh, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to ask you, who is your favorite all-time chess player? I am very um, – I know very little about chess. I know you and I were going to start playing some games online last time I talked to you, but I just – it's hard to find the time, and I really do want to eventually do that and get in there and play some games against you, and you, ha- you teach me how to play. Um, but I actually enjoy watching uh, shows about great uh, uh, chess grandmasters. Uh, I watched the one about the – the the guy who's the best in the world right now, the younger guy, Magnus and then, Carlson. Right, I watched the one on him, and then I have like this Bobby Fischer. Uh, he was such a character. I, I love watching stuff about him. Uh, yeah. He I, he's just an unreal uh, guy to just like look back and study and all the Cold War, the historic, you know, the history yeah. around him. Who who are your favorite? Or if you want to just name one or two, and then um, yeah, just go ahead with that first, I guess. Oh man. There's uh, there's so many great chess players. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you want to talk about media, there's some really great films about chess. Uh, one of them is Pawn Sacrifice, uh, came out in 2014. Toby Maguire, and it's all about the rise of Bobby Fischer from um, you know as, as a child in 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 Brooklyn, this uh, poor Jewish kid in Brooklyn, and his rise to eventually um, the world championship and defeating Boris Spassky in 1972. And it was such a momentous occasion because up until then you know you could imagine in the height of the cold war right so it's all this tension going on in the world and the soviet union is you know exerting its influence and power and trying to assert its dominance and so chess on the chess scene um the soviets were dominating like year after year it was a soviet um it was a soviet um world champion year after year after year for like a century and, right am i right about that yeah year? i mean I, I don't know about a couple of decades a bunch yeah. of a bunch of decades the majority of the 20th century was like soviet um world champions and then then this poor jewish kid from brooklyn he's like an idiot savant Bobby fisher like like right. he was like he couldn't even tie his shoes but he could play world-class chess <laughs> it, yeah that's how they describe him you know yeah yeah but uh yeah, he's, he's a character he's really interesting and uh, and he goes up there and he just defeats uh, Boris Spassky and he just takes the world by storm and that's when really that's that's what catapulted chess to becoming so much more popular uh, in the world especially in the United States and it really yeah yeah boosted a lot of uh, interest in the game um, so Boris uh, yeah Bobby Fischer he's he's a yeah you know very eccentric guy very interesting guy and and so that's a great movie Pawn Sacrifice all about that and then there's another movie called um, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out, I think, in the late '90s, and uh, it's about this uh, this other guy, Josh Waitzkin, but but he talks about Bobby Fischer a lot, and it's just excellent movie, excellent. I highly recommend um, both of those movies. Um, so yeah, Bobby Fischer was pretty awesome. There was, uh, I mean, I don't know, there's so, so many. There's this guy. I don't know if you know Jose Raul Capablanca. Yeah. Cuban, okay, you know him, uh, Cuban uh, um, chess player from uh, in the early 20th century. And he was considered like a, like a, like a mathematical machine, like mm-hmm. chess machine. And there was a point where like in, I think in the, in the span of 10 years, he didn't lose one game. Like the guy was like amazing. And so it's beautiful to watch, like, you know, go over his game. Yeah. Like, like when I studied chess, I've, 
I've studied games of like all of the famous chess players, all the world champions. They all have their styles. And it's just fascinating to, um, to study it. And there was this one guy, Tigran Petrosian, who was world champion for a few years, I think a little bit before uh, Fisher became champion. And, and his style, I think his style is more reflective in my style. I think I really enjoy his style. And actually, that's, that's another thing with chess is that by watching how a person plays chess, you can kind of gauge pretty accurately their personality which is very wow interesting. i i had never thought of that but i could definitely see that being true like if they're you know more of a risk taker or right they right. sit back and let the game come to them right right exactly exactly yeah. so so you definitely have like there's one world champion mikhail tal who he's um wild crazy brilliant sacrifices you know rook queen sacrifice and 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 one of his famous quotes is um I like to lead my opponent into a dark forest where two plus two equals five. And there's only room for one to exit the forest. (laughs) (laughs) So, 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 so he's one of those guys where like, he's definitely not a position. He's wild. You know, he he goes towards the most unpredictable tactical sharp uh, positions. And so he loves sacrifices. Tigran Petrosian is his polar opposite which I, I think I'm more like him, which is like he's very strong positional player and he very rarely makes a, a sacrifice. And he, he just like, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, I would, I, I don't know if um, uh, somebody described him or I just, this is how I describe him as like a boa constrictor in that um, the way a boa constrictor um, kills its prey is not by outright brute force necessarily. You know, it is constricting, but it's waiting for the prey to, take an inhale and once you inhale it it it, it, it tightens a little more then you inhale again tighten right. a little more so so basically you're you're just responding to your opponent's weaknesses and you're just closing in slowly so in that way i think that's my style so is chess, that more is, is that more or less letting the game more or less letting the game come and come to you uh i mean i'm not i'm not passive but what i'm doing is the way I, the way i play anyway is that I, I'm, I'm very careful in my moves, but then I'm also looking for weaknesses in my opponent and slowly, you know, itch, um, uh, slowly like chiseling away at their, at their wounds. You know, it's like death by a thousand cuts. You know, you, you, you look at, you look at the, the, uh, the weaknesses and you slowly pile on pressure, pile on pressure, and eventually your opponent cracks. So, so that's, right, right. that's kind of, I think that's kind of my style is, uh, both I, had, <laughs> I had to, yeah, I like that. I had to look it up, uh, uh, Capablanca had had a great. I actually just uh, learned about him in the last few months. I was doing a little research on chess, and cool. one of his quotes came up. And uh, you might, you probably know it. It's to improve at chess, uh, you should in the first instance study the end game. And I think that's really yeah. a cool quote. Uh, yeah. I think he was like the middle to late eighteen hundreds, right? Am I right on that? Um, I think uh, I think early 20th century that's okay. when he became prominent. Okay, yeah, off a little bit, yeah. But I thought that was a really good quote. Oh, he's it. he's he's amazing. And, that and he was the best for a long time, right? Quite a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was he was an amazing. I mean, there's so many. Like Alexander Alekin was an awesome guy. Uh, I think he's, I think he's a Russian guy, and um, yeah, I mean, I mean, so many. I mean, uh, he. Like like a lot of these grandmasters, they do these simultaneous exhibitions. Uh, you've heard heard about this, where they where a master would play multiple people right. at the same time. So mm-hmm. so this guy Alexander Alekin, he went one step further. He did blindfold simultaneous exhibition. Can you imagine blindfold simultaneous? So you're playing thirty different people blindfolded, 
all those pieces, all those games in your head, and you're remembering each of those positions. Oh, the majority <laughs> of people couldn't do, yeah, the majority of people couldn't keep track of one board, let alone 30, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's it's, amazing. It's just, it's just amazing, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, I mean, the chess, chess has, has fascinated me since I was 12. I read a lot of chess books and saw all these chess movies and just got really interested in the, yeah. So now I'm teaching it to kids and, um, and they, they enjoy it. And, you know, I, I love teaching it and, and the kids are having a great time that now that, now that, uh, this whole, uh, you know, uh, crazy virus stuff is going on, I'm able to do it online and I'm actually being even busier than I was before, which is pretty, <laughs> which is pretty cool. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you, let's, let's, this is like a good segue into uh, my next question. Um, do you see like a future where I feel like you and people of our, our mindset, you know, you and I have a lot of the same, you know, similar beliefs. Uh, are we going to raise the, you know, future generations, people like us that could strive or maybe accomplish an area or territory that is absent of rulers where we can avoid the, you know, state completely, or what is your take on like, what is our, what, what, what do we need to um, aim for? Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, I think it's so important that we show people that um, anarchy is around us at all times, you know, and the state is really the, the um the force that's trying to upset that harmony and and you know i try and i, and I was having this conversation recently with a, with a friend that you know i think everybody is an anarchist they just don't know it because most people live their lives anarchically right I, they they wear what they want to wear they listen to the kind of music they want to listen to they go to the job they choose their job they choose what time they want to wake up go to sleep what, what food they want to eat you know you want to work out or not you choose we make choices all the time that without people telling us what to do people make choices and and also i think for the most part most people live moral lives they understand basic morality but for some reason some strange reason they think that this giant exception called the state is exempt from that same um code of morality that all of us are subjected to so i don't really think that we need to um, start our own, you know, enclave of, uh, of anarchists or volunteers. I mean, I think that just us living in the general population, interacting with people and showing them that, yeah, you can be a prosperous and thriving, successful person and not support the state. It's possible, you know, <laughs> the, the state doesn't yeah. help us and all it does is hinder people. You know, the state doesn't produce anything, doesn't produce anything, doesn't create anything useful, valuable, productive. No, because if it's if force must be used to create it, then it is fundamentally worthless, right? Because if people want it and if it's valuable and it's needed, it will be created and it will make people's lives happier, right? You know, how many people's lives are happier at the point of a gun. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Roth, Rothbard actually, you know, uh, has a quote about that. It's, you know, that we are just people, you know, to paraphrase what he said, and you, you just hit it on taxation and uh, conscription and all that stuff that we, you know, we're, we are basically people that don't make it, uh, we don't waver in the universal ethic of, you know, you know, just 
doing the right thing, (laughs) you know, and that's really what we, we, you know, we have, we're taught and trained from such an early age to just, you know, just give up and this is, you know, any, any sort of idea that the state could, you know, maybe be doing us harm or anything like that. It's I pledge allegiance. I mean, that's like the first thing you learn in school, right? You, you know, you stand up, you fall in line, you, you do this, you know, it's just like, it, it, it really it, it really is such an archaic uh, idea now. I think more and more people are figuring it out. Um, but it, it, I, I wonder I wonder where we're going to go because there's so many. I feel like there's so many more of us now than ever. Or maybe just because we're living in this digital age, we're allowed uh, to find each other. You know what I mean? Uh, it's made it easier. So uh, I think Lieberland, I'm not real familiar with Lieberland, but I know that's like, I think that's, somewhat of an idea you know a lot of people like us decided to move there uh do you know much about lieberland or do you do, would you move to a place let's let's i'll pose that question would you would you uproot if you had the opportunity to live around other like-minded people like that um yeah yeah i've heard i've heard of lieberland um and you know there's the free state project in new hampshire and um you know, Jeff Burke's got his thing in Acapulco. A bunch of anarchists mm-hmm. moved down there because they got Acapulco, and then like just they just stay. They love it so much they just stay. So that's kind of like <laughs> becoming another uh, another gathering of volunteers. I mean, that that would be awesome if I was to live near a lot of bunch of anarchist volunteers. I would love that. That would be great. Um, it's so you know you know what it's so it's so strange. Um, I'm sure you've been to like freedom conferences um, where you're just surrounded by anarchists and volunteers. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. I find it because it's like it's like these conversations that you know you can't have with other people because you know yeah. they, they don't think taxation is stuff they don't think that the state is immoral so you, you can't you can't have a conversation with that as the foundation you have to first describe that stuff so so when you're when you're around other anarchists or volunteers it's like wow we can we, we can go deeper into this i don't have to <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's such a weird concept yeah i went to anarchadelphia last year and it was i had to, i know exactly what you're saying and i was like I was, it was kind of funny. I was sitting at uh, this restaurant before. I haven't told anyone this story. Uh, I was sitting at this restaurant uh, the night before the event, just eating dinner by myself, drinking a, a uh, Arnold Palmer. And this, this, this woman sat down next to me, and then she was meeting a friend. And I started talking to him. She's like, what are you here for? I'm like, Anarchadelphia. It's this meeting of, uh, of all these. She said, what is Anarchadelphia? I told her, you know, it's, a, it's like a, a, a branch of uh, – in Anarchapulco, uh, an event where a lot of anarcho-capitalist and free market people meet. Yeah. And she and she starts talking to me and then she tells me, like, after that, you know, I got to talk to them and her friend showed up and they actually bought my dinner. They were really nice. In Philadelphia, get, Philadelphia right. gets a bad rap. Yeah. And oh. I start talking to them and then she tells me at the end, she they asked me to go have a drink with them somewhere and she's like, yeah, and uh, by the way, I'm in the FBI or something like that. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I was, I was like working on converting this FBI. I think it was some branch. It was like FBI, CIA, or something real crazy. I think she was in the FBI. Wow. And uh, at least that's what she told me. And I asked her what she did. And she didn't. Tell- but yeah, it was like I had this like you know uh, normal conversation with these people. You know, uh-huh. one of these events. And then the next day, I'm sitting around all you know like-minded people and thinking yeah. like, wow, I wonder if any of these people are like a plant here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but I thought that was kind of humorous. Yeah, that's yeah. It's such a beautiful um, situation, you know. You know, like like we've been living in New Jersey for a while, New York and New Jersey area. So we have a, I have a lot of friends here, a lot of contacts and connections, and 
you know, business opportunities here. So, you know, it, it would be diff- difficult and different to uproot. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of people are talking, a lot of my friends are talking about it, you know, especially with what's going on here, the quarantine, the lockdown and all that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it would be a, a beautiful thing definitely to, you know, it's like nothing, nothing can come close to living near other uh, like-minded volunteers. And also you, I'm sure like the, the, the safety, just knowing that right. everyone around you is, has a similar idea about, about self-defense, about non-aggression. It's just, it's just like, it's like people who um, are afraid of guns. Uh, I like to point out that you, you know where you never have uh, a, sh- a mass shooting is a gun show. <laughs> you know yeah it's true <laughs> or gun stores you know just or guns less crime right right so so uh so yeah i mean i mean i live okay right now where we live we live on a mountain in new jersey northern new jersey and and when we first moved here uh three years ago um i noticed that one of the guys who lives like across the street from me he had a first he had a gadsden flag sign which is a good sign right it's like the limited government type people and then he got the white, I saw a white flag in front of his house that said, um, give me liberty or give me death. And then I thought, oh man, I feel really at home here now. <laughs> He's able, like, it's, like, it's like the further you get away from uh, a large concentration of people, like a, a metropolis or a city, uh, the more libertarian minded you get. You know, it's so true. Yeah. I, I had, I, I don't have like any neighbors that I know that like fly the Gadsden flag or anything like that, but you just feel you just talking to people. I know that they're more Liberty minded. It's like the, um, I totally agree with what you just said. I've been thinking about that a lot myself because I moved out of the city three years ago and I was in Cincinnati and before that Columbus, Ohio. And it's, it's just, uh, there's something about the way pe- the higher the degree of education a lot of times the more people want to move into that they want to be stuck in that that fishbowl of like um yeah. uh, communists to be quite frank of this you know, <laughs> it's more like a parasitic right. thing where they don't have a lot of free thoughts in my opinion yeah yeah and, and another beautiful thing where we live is um um the neighbors are wonderful they're great you know i talk to them and we they they ask how we're doing and uh you know i borrow things from them and it's just it's just so much more um you know uh you know where people are looking after each other right you know, and taking care of each other and it's just such a beautiful thing you know um yeah it's just like like you know so many people that i know you know they live in, in a place let's say in the suburbs where there's more concentration than where we live and they're like i never talk to my neighbors <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah they're the ones that like come home they immediately lock all doors check you know oh, underneath man. their bed and all that yeah oh man i mean and then and then you got in the cities like even more concentration they're like you don't talk to anybody it's so weird you know the more people around you just the, the more yeah. people lock up and clam up and don't interact and it's, yeah it's kind of weird it is strange i could talk to you forever i'm gonna have to have you back on if you want to come back on again That's, yeah I, yeah sure no problem <laughs> i appreciate your time today uh what i have one last question for you um well since this is most you know this is a bitcoin related show but i'm also an anarcho-capitalist and i want to have people like you on that are into peaceful parenting and uh just you know you have like, you're, you're very diverse. So, uh, I appreciate you coming on, but I wanted to add, this is like a double barrel question. I always ask, what does Bitcoin mean to my guests that are, you know, very Bitcoin centric. And then what does, so what does Bitcoin mean to you and what does voluntarism or, uh, anarcho-capitalism mean to you? 
So what does Bitcoin mean? Bitcoin for me signifies freedom, you know, the freedom to interact in whatever currency the market deems or free and peaceful people deem to be effective and useful. Like, like what I was, I was describing um, Gresham's law to my um, family member because I was, I was showing her my silver stash and it was explaining different things about money and currency and everything. And I said, there's this idea of Gresham's law, right? Whereas when the, when the state takes control of a money supply, then, um, and as it, as it begins to inflate and the, and the value decreases, then people uh, remove the more valuable um, currency, like the old junk silver, they remove them from circulation. And that is Gresham's law at work, right? Um, bad money drives out good money, right? And so, the, and, and so when you have a free market in currency or a free market in money, you have the reverse, reverse Gresham's law, right? Whereas why would people use poor quality currency when they're free to use the best? Absolutely. Right? So yeah. when you're free, you always use the most valuable. And I think that's very illustrative that of, of this tendency. It's, it's just like a, it's like a natural law, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. That Bitcoin's going to eat. I believe that. I truly believe that. I like the way you put that too, that Bitcoin is going to, uh, eat up all of the fiat junk money. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I feel dirty just holding on, having my wealth in, in currency. I'm like, I, it's like a hot potato. I want to get rid of it. I want to put it into something real, like right. precious metals, like silver. My, my wife is like, she, she's like, you bought enough silver already. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a contradiction. Enough silver. What, what is that? I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, yeah. So, and then, uh, what was the other question? The, uh, what, what about voluntarism and, uh, you know, anarcho-capitalism? Yeah. What does that mean to me? Um, I mean, I think it's self-evident in the way people live their lives. Like I said, most people are anarchists and don't, don't, um, know it. Like same thing. Most people are voluntarists and don't know it. Like, like most people don't use, um, don't use violence to solve their problems. Are you familiar with Cal Moline from, um, Liberate RVA? No, liberate. He's a liberate. Uh, he's in Richmond, Virginia, anarcho capitalist in Richmond. And he makes great YouTube videos, and so he does a lot of man in the street videos. And he he does his whole question line is first he says, um, "Do you use problems? Do you use violence to solve your pro your pro problems in your daily life?" No. Would you advocate other people to use violence to solve your problems in your daily life? No. So why do you think it's okay if we if we um, delegate that? Um, ability to the state in the form of elections and voting, why does that make it okay? Why does it turn morality on its head? And, and it's a great line of questioning. Uh, and so, you, you know, you, you begin to see that everybody already understands this stuff. You know, don't hit, don't take other people's things. Very simple. Even the child understands that. Right. But, but you know, the idea is that all of this government school um, indoctrination propaganda has led people to believe that the state is an entity that people cannot live without. And I rem I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I that's and I also remember like when I was young, you know, uh, another one of the things they teach you the, they first teach you in elementary school is uh, the uh, mob rule. Like, um, we're gonna put this up to a vote, and uh, <laughs> you know, everybody raise your hand that wants to do this, or right. you know, and it's like. You, they really instill, you know, this like your, you know, your rights are at the whim of, of, you know, the democratic right. mob. It, you know, right. that's like the, one of the first things they teach you in, in school. So it's interesting. 
So re- real quick, before we end, you just reminded me of a great YouTube video. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's called the uh, Democracy Diner. Have you heard of the, this video? No, I have to check that out. <laughs> you got to put it in the description. All right, so it's, it's like an animated video. Okay. And, and it's, it's a, what if we applied democracy to a diner, to a restaurant? <laughs> so these, these two guys go to a restaurant and they sit down. And, and the one guy is like, you're going to love this place. I love it. This is a great place. And so, and so you know, looks at the menu is like a lot of things, right? Like, uh, I don't know, grilled chicken, pizza and nuggets and everything, whatever. A lot of, a lot of different things. And he's like, and waitress comes over. She's like, and he's like, all right, can I have the uh, grilled chicken? Uh, no, we're out. Can I have the pizza? No, we're out. Can I have the hamburger? No, we're out. Okay, what do you have? <laughs> so it ends up that there's only two options, and and, and then and then so so and then they're gonna and then, then over the last week they say, okay, we're gonna take a vote, and the guy's like, wait, what? And it's like, yeah, that's what they do. So you you put in what you want, and then everyone takes a vote, and then whichever wins, that's what everyone has. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I like that. And that's exactly what it's like. You know, it's like, it really is. why, why, why is it that, you know, our liberties and our freedoms are put to a vote for the majority? It, Number one, does the majority ever make wise or prudent decisions? No. <laughs> the majority is always in the wrong. And that's, and, and if you applied that, it, you, you've really expressed it well. If you apply that method to anything in your life, uh, cell phones, computers, nobody would want to want that to be left up to the democratic vote. You know, it's like, so why are we putting it, you know, right, right. Putting, you know, our lives in the hands of these, yeah. these people. I really appreciate your talk, man. You have a lot of good insights. I'm definitely going to have you back on Danilo Cuellar. Did I, yes, did I, excellent. Yep, you got did it. I say yep. it right that time? Awesome. Yeah. We've yeah. been friends for a long time, but I, I didn't know how to pronounce your last name. That's all right. You, no where, where can people, uh, look, you know, what if somebody wants to uh, hire you to teach teach them how to play chess or piano? Where where can they go? So yeah, so you can uh, message me on Facebook. Uh, you can also email me. Uh, my uh, my email Danilo Kipu K I P U Danilo Kipu at yahoo dot com. Um, yeah, I do private uh, lessons. I do group classes. Um, usually, like uh, ten kids is the max class I do. But um, but yeah, I have a, a bunch of classes going on right now and. Uh, being more busy and I love it. And, uh, the kids, I got a lot of great feedback. I got, I got pictures and, and videos on my YouTube channel. I got a, a Facebook page called, um, Danilovich chess on uh, YouTube. And, uh, you can see a bunch of videos there and pictures of my classes. And I also have a YouTube channel, same, same name, Danilovich chess, Danilo V I C H Danilovich chess. Is that a, is that a, uh, a tip of the hat to the Russians, the, the Russian, Chess, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so so the origin of that is uh, my my um, my wife when I met her, um, she well, my wife is Romanian Hungarian, and so when I um, when I met her parents, the stepfather was also Romanian, and so he would he would actually call me Danilovsky. <laughs> so he was just like he was just playing around with my name. So uh, okay. I think he also mentioned Danilovich too. So so I, I kind of I like it that. works. Like, I mean, I mean, and also, like you said, the Russians, you know, Russia right. is, is very big association with chess. So, so yeah, it just works. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I like that. All right, man. What, and then your YouTube uh, channel is uh, youtube.com forward slash uh, at peaceful or just uh, forward slash peaceful anarchism, right? Well, actually, actually, I don't think the URL. Um, yeah, I, I, I made a mistake with that. I didn't, I didn't do the URL with my oh, name. Okay. So it's just like a bunch of random letters. So just type, yeah, just look for peaceful anarchism. You should find me. Yeah, you have uh, one one point nine three 
K subs on there and like 364 yeah. videos or something. Like oh that. yeah. A bunch, a bunch. Yeah. I've done, I've done interviews like, I don't know, hundred over 150 interviews, something like that a lot. And a bunch of like short videos as well um, on various topics. Um, so yeah, my website, peacefinderchism.com, uh, peacefinderchism YouTube channel. And I'm also on Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, you, you're not on Stitcher and iTunes yet, right? With no, I think I'm, I think the podcast is on iTunes, but it's uh, not on Stitcher. I don't, I haven't been on Stitcher cool. yet. No. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely recommend it. I love Stitcher. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just, just great to get on all these, um, um, these podcatcher app, uh, apps and websites because, uh, yeah, it just expands your reach. All so, right. Well, I awesome. appreciate you coming on brother. I, I'm going to say goodbye to you in one moment here. All right. Thanks a lot for having me as well. Absolutely.